Well, howdy. Hey, if you have a Bible, jump to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We are going to be looking this morning at a subject that, honestly, it's one of my passions. It's what I love to do. It's, it's really what I want to be marked um, within my life. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read a f- several verses for us and then jump in. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. As you're flipping there, if you don't, haven't met you yet, my name is Kevin Barra. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus. So glad to be spending this morning with you guys. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier entangles himself in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of his crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let me pray for us one more time, and we'll jump in. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for this season of spring break, and Lord, I pray that as we as we rest, recover for some of us, um, that you would help us to not rest from you, but rest in you. And as we as we think about this next season of 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 life that you have for us, I pray that what we look at this morning wouldn't be a nice addition to our life, but would actually, for some of us, shift the trajectory of our life. That we would be people that do the things that Paul is asking Timothy to do, that it would be um, not just an add-on, but a cultural change within us that changes our community and ultimately will change our world. And Lord, that is, that is much bigger than something I can produce. Only you can by the power of your spirit. So I'm asking, Lord, that your spirit move in our hearts and move in our minds, that we might be the people you want us to be. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in April 24th, in 1895, a man named Joshua Slocum set on a trajectory, a a trip, trying to go around the world. And he got on a boat that looked something like this. It was called the Spray. And he had found it. It was a discarded old boat that was just kind of cast aside. And he grabbed that boat and began ripping it apart, creating a new hole, building it entirely new to a point that one and, and he, he brought the boat till it was ready to sail. He brought it to some whalers to look at this boat. And they said this of the boat. Whaling captains came from afar to survey it. And with one voice they pronounced it A1. And in their opinion, fit to smash ice. The oldest captain shook um, my hand warmly with the, with the best look in his face and said, it should cut the bow head, yet you should get off to the coast of Greenland. And those are all sailing ideas that I don't get. But I do know this, that this boat, as these men looked at it, said it was fit to smash ice. Meaning, this boat can survive any environment. No matter what place you place this boat, this boat's going to survive. So when it encounters storms, when it encounters um, problems, when it encounters difficulty, no matter where you put this boat, it will sail true. It will lead you to ultimately where you want to go. And so Joshua Slocum in April of 24th, 1895, got into this boat by himself and sailed alone around the world. 
Over the next three years, he went from Rhode Island all the way around 46,000 miles, all the way back to his starting point by himself. The reviews of the book that he wrote um, were, were very positive. One person named Arthur Ramson wrote of this book that he wrote of these adventures and said this, boys who do not like this book ought to be drowned at once. You know, you got to love the 1890s. <laughs> Another person wrote this of the book. Uh, Sir Edwin Arnold wrote, I do not hesitate to call it the most extraordinary book ever published. And, I, and as I read those descriptions and I've read this book, I, I would say, what, what was the piece that was so engaging? Like, what was it about this book of this person who, who set on this journey? What was it so engaging? And it's simply this, that someone would, would take their skills, their talents, and do something that would bring, us, bring them all the way around the world, that would bring something all the way around to circumnavigate their circumference of the entire world by himself. And I'm like, that is absolutely incredible that you would get on a boat alone and go around the world. And as I've thought about that, I'm like, that is our mission. And our mission isn't to get in a cool boat. Our mission is this. We've got a message And that message is meant to get around the world. We are people, men and women, given a message. And the purpose of that message is is to have this message, to bring it to every single person around the world. And what's the message? It's this, that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, dropped into human history. And he died in our place for our sins, that we might be in relationship with God. See, the entire world has to know this message and Jesus, if you, if you think about his life at all, he spent only three years in the public spotlight. Think about that. Three years. Three years in the public spotlight, and he spent the majority of his time with 12 guys. And then he died and left. And when he died and left, all of his men were like, what just happened? What's go- what are we going to do? What- what's going on? And, and, and they kind of went their own way for a little while, but he, he gathered them together again in a moment, and over several times he appeared to them. In his last marching orders, we get in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, and it's this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, verse 19, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is called the Great Commission. This statement of Jesus be at the end of his life, when he was about to go off into heaven, at the end of his time on earth, he gave these men this strategy. I want you to go into the world. And I want you to make disciples of, of, of all nations. And I want you to baptize them. I want you to bring them into the community. And I want you to teach them everything that I've taught you. And, and lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Lo. And you can imagine at that point, those men, what, what, what are they going to do? Like, they, they've been walking with this guy for three years. They've watched his life. He's been doing incredible things. And then he pieces out and says, and now the rest is up to you. If you were in that moment, like me, 
if I'm thinking of myself in that moment, I would be terrified. What do you mean I got to disciple the world? What do you mean little old me has the responsibility to take this message and bring it to everyone around the world? If you're, if you're thinking rightly, that should seem unrealistic and extremely challenging. But I want to give you some parameters this morning on discipleship. What does it look like? What is Jesus actually calling us to? What does this strategy actually look like? And Paul to Timothy gives him the simple strategy in a few simple verses. You don't have to reach everyone, but you do need to reach someone. Our responsibility isn't to reach everyone as an individual. But if everyone is working together, everyone together could reach the world. The strategy that Jesus lays out is simply this, discipleship. And I'm going to give you three simple phrases to explain this, this process of discipleship. The first word is this, that you love Jesus. Love Jesus. The way Paul tells Timothy is in verse 1 is this way. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The first thing he wants Timothy to do is to grow. Individually, Timothy, I want you to grow in the strength that you find in Christ Jesus. Meaning, I want you to spend time personally with Jesus. And that that phrase, be strengthened, is passive. That means as you spend time with Jesus, as as you study his word, as you spend time praying personally with Jesus, you will be strengthened. You will grow and grow more in your knowledge of Jesus and understanding of who he is. The first step in discipleship is this. Are you growing in your personal love for Jesus? Meaning, Are you spending time personally soaking up the words of God, spending time in personal discipleship? That's the number one first step. And Paul says it this way in Ephesians 3. He says this, that according to the riches of of the glory of Christ may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be, have the strength to know the height and length and breadth and all that is in Christ Jesus. What the first step in discipleship is this, that you are personally growing. And I think for many of us, this is, this is a great first step, but this is where we stop. So you come to church and you're going, I hope the message is good. Kevin's speaking. All right, we'll see how it goes. Okay. Right? <laughs> Or you go to your small group Bible study and you're like, I hope this small group is good. I hope I get something out of this. And we evaluate those moments based on what we receive. And we say, is this good? What did I get? That determines on whether or not it was good. And, and what we do some, sometimes, especially in the Christian culture, is this. We evaluate our moments by how much we're getting fed. By how much we're getting from the moment. There's an, there's an old, old illustration I've heard to describe this, and, and it's set up this way. There's, there's two major seas in the, in the nation of Israel. There's the Sea of Galilee, and there's the Dead Sea. Now, the Sea of Galilee is at the top, and it's, it's got um, streams that come into it that are constantly circulating through that sea. But also, it has a, a river that comes out that circulates all the way down to the Dead Sea. Now, the reason it's called the Dead Sea is because nothing can survive there. It's dead. It's filled with salt. 
I had a friend that visited the Dead Sea a couple of years ago, and, and you can float easily on top of the water because it was so filled with so much salt and sediment. And, and because it's so filled with so much salt and sediment and all the ingredients from everything else, it actually does not have the ability to sustain life. It's a life-sucking dead sea. But it's growing, and it's receiving And it's getting more and more and more and more. And it goes from small group to small group going, what can you give me? It goes from church to church. What can you give me? It goes from place to place. What can you give me? And it gets more and more and more and more and more. And it has nothing in which to flow. See, for many of us, the problem is we are great about personal devotion. But we don't take the next step of what it means to actually be a disciple which means we need to not merely receive, but we need to give. So the first next step is this, that we love others. Second Timothy 1.2 says it this way. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. In Titus, Paul gives a similar instruction to women. He says, women similarly instruct younger women. The, the instruction is the same. What you have, you're meant to give. What you've received, you're meant to pass on. The information given to you is the information that's supposed to go through you. See, if you want to be a life-giving person, it isn't about just receiving all that you can. It's about taking all that you have and giving it to someone else. And I think for many of us, uh, the process of discipleship gets cut short Because we're only focused on my my personal growth, what I need to do to grow. Hey, you do need to grow. You do need to battle sin and get healthy in life. And I'm I'm not stopping any of that. You need that. But if it just stays here and doesn't flow out, you you don't move forward in your life. And the message of the gospel doesn't move forward either. What you receive, you need to give. The secret is to living is giving. And there's three main categories I'd give you to think about. Your family, your church, and your world. The first thing is your family. Paul says it in a very harsh way. He says, he who doesn't provide for the needs of his family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay, that hurts, Paul. Your first responsibility is to your family. Do you love them? Are you pouring out into them? If God has given you kids, are you raising up those kids the best you can? I've got four kids, seven to two. What does it look like to disciple those kids? I have no idea. But you know what I have? I have a children's ministry here. And those people are learning and growing and sending out things to me to help me disciple, pour into my family. Then there's the church. One of the things I love about Grace Bible Church is the number of college students involved in this church. It is absolutely incredible. But I think a tendency for those of us that are past the college age, um, (laughs) is that we can so rely on them and miss the opportunity, the responsibility for us to pour out as well. 
the opportunity, the responsibility for us to, to pour into either those college students or those high school students or those children. Sometimes we miss the opportunity because we assume someone else is fulfilling that role. But I'll tell you what, you have a responsibility, an opportunity to pour out your life, to continue the things that you've received, pouring it out into others and your world. Well, who's your world? Everyone but the ones you know. So it could literally be your neighbor. It may literally be your next door neighbor and you're like, I don't talk to that guy. I, I know, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Or it's that person at work. You're like, I don't talk to her. I know, that's what I'm talking about. See, that the things that you've received have to flow through you into other people. So not only do we love Jesus with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, not only do we love others, the next step is to make more. We love Jesus, we love others, and we make more. Meaning, the process of discipleship should never stop with your output. See, for some of us, we're so good about loving Jesus personally, and some of you are really great at discipling others. Like, you have such a heart for people, and everyone loves to come to you because you have all the answers. I mean, you are, you're incredible. Like, I want to sit and be discipled by you. I just want to be like, tell me everything I need to know. You know, you're, you're amazing. And I just want to go to you and you to give me everything that I need. And then I move on. And then you do that to someone else, to someone else, and to someone else. And the problem is, it never goes further than your ability to impact. Those people don't impact anyone else. Crew has a um, description about what this should look like. It's called multiplication. I wasn't a math major. I was poli-sci. So I had someone else create a graph. (laughs) And this is what it looks like. It's you at the top. It's one person. And there's two people that you can impact. And the goal of impacting two people is this, that those two people impact two more. And when they impact two more, you get four. That's math. And then you, those... (laughs) Multiply more, and then you get eight, and then you multiply more. You got 16, 32, 54. You can check my math, and people, you can count them later on. But, but the point is this. The process of multiplication means this. We multiply our efforts. It means more people that are discipling, loving Jesus, loving others. And as you love that person, they don't stay stagnant. They go and pour their life out into someone else. And here's what's so interesting. Um, Crew did a uh, kind of a description of this, and they say it, said it this way. I thought it was so helpful. If you were one Christian rock star, right, and you led a thousand people to Christ every year for 36 years, taking each one through the basic follow-up, how many people would you have reached with the gospel? Answer, non-math majors, 36,000. That's one Christian rock star over 36 years, 36,000 people. You are amazing to affect that many people's lives. However, If you were to practice the skill of multiplication, here's what would happen. However, if you led three people to Christ, discipled them, and trained each one of them to reach three other people, and everyone that was discipled in turn reached out to three people each year, then when we multiply the process over 36 years, that number gets big. Any guesses? One million people. 
One Christian rock star over 36 years makes 36,000 followers. One multiplier over the same time period makes a million multipliers. You see the impact of multiplication? You see, Jesus had one mission when he was going to leave the earth. He said, I'm going to die in my, for the sins of the whole world. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise up 12 guys. I'm going to lose one, but the other 11. I'm going to infuse those 11 with the power of multiplication. And they are going to love me, and they're going to love others, and they're going to make more. And as they continue doing this, the world will never recover from the impact of these multipliers. And listen, everyone else knows this. Every other industry realizes this, that you have to pour yourself out. You have to pour yourself into someone else. My wife and I are watching the Star Wars series. She's never watched them before, and so I'm discipling her in the ways of Star Wars. Yoda built up Luke Skywalker, right? But more than that, even the music industry, Usher, Usher raised up Justin Bieber, okay? Where would we be without Usher? Thank you, okay? But look at coaching trees, right? You look at the NFL. Bill Parcells poured into Bill Belichick, who created Nick Saban, Eric Magnum, Josh McDaniels, and you're like, oh, Nick Saban, whatever. I mean, look at the quality of people that investment developed. But beyond that, there's one one multiplier that you've probably never even really thought about because you don't even know his name. And it's this man, Lorne Michaels. Anyone know who Lorne Michaels is? Like three of you in the room. But you know who he produced? He produced comedic geniuses, including Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, Mike Myers, Will Ferrell, Jimmy Fallon, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler. More people produced by this person's impact through the Saturday Night Live network and and really changed the face of comedy. You see, in every other arena, in every other organization, they say the power of impact, the power of development, the power of multiplication makes a dramatic impact. And I'll tell you what, the same is true in the Christian life. And I'll tell you what, one of the greatest benefits, one of the greatest joys you can have in life is this, to pour your life into someone else and see the results they can make. Brian Fisher, senior pastor here at Grace, His two shining stars are a guy named Blake Jennings. Y'all have heard of him, right? And Matt Morton. That's impact. I look at myself, and uh, there was a a goofy kid, um, senior in high school. I was leading junior high ministry over at Anderson. And there was a goofy kid who was hilarious, and and you could not uh, keep a muzzle on the guy, but he was amazing. And I looked over to him and I said, Jacob Smith, I'm going to spend time with you. He's now the college pastor over at Anderson. I tell you what, the power of multiplication is world changing. And there's nothing better than to pour your life into other people and to watch the results they produce. And I want you to be a part of it. I want you to see the results from it. See, Jesus gave one major strategy that could survive any environment. I don't care where you are. This is the process. It's spiritual multiplication, but it comes with a challenge. And that's what Paul goes on to describe. 
Because Timothy, he let Timothy plant this church in Ephesus and continue to to progress this church. He says, Timothy, it's going to be a challenge in front of you. It's going to be very challenging to continue this mission. But I want you to invest in it. And he gives him three illustrations in which to solidify this idea in his mind of the challenge of the process of discipleship. He gives him three big images of a soldier, of an athlete, and a farmer. I was never a soldier, but I had, a, I had friends in the Corps. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 2. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He says, I want you to suffer hardship. This is a friend of mine, Gavin Sledge's uh, fatigues when he was in the Corps here. And, uh, and I know every freshman plebe knows the reality of suffering hardship as a good soldier. Because you come from high school when mama loved you and woke you up with kisses and you know, butterflies over your face. And when you got into college and you decided to join the Corps, they shave your head, they lay you down late at night, and they wake you up with a sophomore screaming in your face, get up, son, you know, and that's, that's how they train you, right? That's how they develop you. You're going to suffer hardship as a good soldier. And I'll tell you what, as a Christian, it's going to be hard. There are times in life when you're discipling people if you want, really want to get involved in the lives of people, it means this. You get to endure the hardships they endure. It means life gets messy. It means the, the challenges that they face, you face alongside of them. It means you're going to invest your life in them, and there will be messy seasons. Andrew Carnegie, extremely wealthy man. In the 1930s, he had um, 43 millionaires working for him. And they asked, Andrew, how did you make all these millionaires? He writes this, men are developed in the same way gold is mined. Several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold. But you don't go into the mine looking for dirt, he added. You go looking for gold. I love that. When you want to develop people, you go looking for their best. It's hard work to mine it out of people, but But the disciples of Christ know that I love Jesus, I love others, and I want to make more. So I'm going to step into the dirt, and I'm going to work hard like a a diligent soldier, like a focused soldier. And the second illustration he gives is of an athlete. 2 Timothy 2 verse 5 says this. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. There was... um, a Roman historian named, or poet named Horace, and he writes this of the Olympic Games, or the Olympic athletes. He says, There must be ordinary living, but spare food. Abstain from confections. Make a point of exercising at the appointed times in the heat and cold. Drink neither water nor wine at random. Give yourself to the training master as to a physician, and then enter the contest. He says, I want you to train your life like a disciplined athlete. We only have one athletic event here in College Station. <laughs> it's football, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's the one we celebrate highest and best. Aggies and Aggie football go together like peas and carrots, right? So we are so 
focused on football. And I'll tell you what, those athletes are driven and focused and determined. They are disciplined men. They are. They wake up early and go to the gym. I've got a guy that sits in the college ministry. He walked onto the football team this past year, and he says, my life changed. So much so, they even do like yoga on Sunday mornings. And I'm like, how does, what is, what does a bunch of like 250, 300 pound men doing yoga look like? And I'm like, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. I'm like, but these men choose to give up freedom, give up time, give up so many things so that they could focus on getting this ball across another line. Like that's the goal. Like just break it down. I want to move this further. And then I want to move this further. And every now and then I want to kick it high and through some other things. And I just want to move this further. And you know how much focus and discipline it takes to move that thing a few more feet? A lot. And men give their lives for it. And Paul's saying, I know men give their lives for all sorts of things. Women give their lives for all sorts of things. But I want you to give your life toward a disciplined life where you can move the message that matters most further. Augustine says this, God, that I might have towards my God a heart of flame, towards my fellow man a heart of love, and towards myself a heart of steel. I want to discipline my life for the purpose of godliness so that more people might get this message. It's the message that matters most. It's the the message that God wants to get around the world, and it requires a disciplined, focused life. And the third illustration he gives is this of a hardworking farmer. He says the hardworking farmer ought to receive the first share of the crops. I'm not a farmer. I couldn't bring up a plow. So I brought a plant. And I'm not really a, uh, a grower of things. I'm more of a killer of plants, right? Um, anyone else a killer of plants? Yeah. And I discovered why I kill plants. And it, it's this. If you want to be a good farmer, a good cultivator of plants, you need this. Attention, care, feeding, watering, right? I had a fish in college and I killed it like within a week. You know, I'm just, I didn't pay attention to it, right? I didn't look at it. And what Paul is saying is this. If you want to develop people, it requires this. Light, warmth, Food and time. You want to develop people, you cultivate it like a farmer cultivates his crops. That means a farmer looks at what it needs. It notices details like, oh, that's getting a little brown, that's getting this. I'll give it different fertilizer, I'll give it different water, I'll make sure that this time of year it's healthy. I will look at its needs and I will change my approach based on the needs of this thing. Henry Cloud in his book, How People Grow, writes, A key component of growth is grace. Enough grace to open up and bring things into the light to be healed. You want to disciple people? Fill it with grace. Fill it with grace. I want want to grow you. I'm going to see what you need. I'm going to be tender to you. I'm 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 going to position myself that you might thrive. And it's going to be, here's your key word, hard work to be a farmer that develops people. So you're a focused soldier, you're a disciplined athlete, and you're a hard-working farmer that raises people up 
One commentator writes of these illustrations. He says, every one of these is achieved through discipline, hard work, and single-mindedness. See, if you want to disciple people, you want to pour your life into people, it's not going to be easy. But it's going to be worth it. See, the end of all of these, he says, look, there's a reward. There's a prize that you get as an athlete, right? There's, there's fruit that you get as a farmer. There's pleasing of your master when you're a disciplined soldier. Every one of these illustrations ends with an incredible impact, an incredible reward of you crossing the finish line of your life and saying, I did it. I poured out my life for what mattered most to God and to others. Hebrews, one of my favorite passages, summarizes it really well, and he says it this way. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. I love that. You have a race set before you. You have your time, you have your talents, and you have that, this space, this opportunity in which to leverage your life. And the question is this, are you going to take on this heart of discipleship to grow personally, to pour yourself out, to see it multiplied, engage in the tough work? Are you going to let it stop with you? When I was a high school senior, um, I ran track, and, and I had a, a, a track coach who I didn't get along with. Um, she was a nice person. I was just a jerk face um, as an 18-year-old. And, and I was combative the whole time. And she was trying to develop me. She was doing her best. She was combative the entire time. And I was like, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to question every decision. And I was, I was not a nice guy. I remember at one point we were doing this workout, and it was one of the worst days imaginable. Um, it was rainy, it was cold, and it was the hardest workout of the year. And we're doing 400 meter repeats with a minute rest. So we had to do them in 60 seconds with 60 seconds rest. And each time I would finish one repeat, I would throw up on the side and then she'd be like, back on the line. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'd get back to the line. She would say, go. And we'd go again. 60 seconds, 60 seconds. After each repeat, I would throw up on the side and get back on the line. Throw up on the side, get back on the line. After four of them, I laid on the track. And she said, you're going to be ready. For what? You know, just exhausted. I remember at the end of that season, it was the regional meet. We're racing the regional race, and, and I'd run the two mile and, and not qualified for state, and I'm running the regional race in the mile, and the gun blows, and I go right to the middle of the pack, and I'm running around. And a couple guys fall off after the lap one, so lap two comes around. And Megan Thomas is her name. Megan's standing at one side of the track. And I don't know how she communicated all of this in one, like, little short window. But I remember her yelling from the side, Kevin, you haven't listened to me all year. How am I hearing you? (laughs) She said, go now. There's two guys right in front of me. At that moment, I had the decision. Am I going to run with these men? Or am I going to run the race set before me? Am I going to run with these people? Or am I going to listen to the call and run the race set before me? So I said, 
all right. I run past these two guys. I come around to the edge. I'm running in the lead on the back stretch. Come around the last 100 meters. And at that moment, I realized it was probably good to listen to her. I won the race. But more than that, I realized I've got to listen to some good coaching. I've got to live my life in a way that matters. At the end of the day, what do I want? I want Jesus to stand in front of me and say, you did exactly what I said. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I want that for you. Pour yourself out what matters most. Love God, love others, make more, and we'll make a great impact. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I pray that we would be people that live a life worthy of the gospel. That we are people that love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are people that pour our lives out into the lives of others. And that by your grace, we might see more and more people grow to love you and make you known. I lift up these people here. That you would show them, hey, who can I pour my life into? Is there a guy? Is there a girl? Is there a man? Is there a woman that I can begin a relationship with and begin pouring my life into them that they might know Jesus and make him known? I pray that you would stir that into our minds. And I pray that we would be people that make an eternal impact on what matters most. So in order to pray, amen. You guys have a great spring break. <laughs>